Bruin fans, I know it's aggravating, it's spellbounding, it's disheartening how a winnable game like over the weekend goes kaput, but we've got to hang in there. We are in this together, and I'm here to console you after the loss to Arizona. And with that, welcome in to a Monday episode of Locked On Bruins. Brian Fenley with you. You can find me on Twitter, at Brian Fenley. I'm also a co-host for UCLA's Coaches Show and am a national anchor for Fox Sports Radio. If you have any frustrations on your mind after you watch the way the game transpired against Arizona, the 20-17 defeat to the Wildcats on the road, send me an email. Happy to read what you have on your mind, LockedOnBruins at gmail.com. And you know what they say, tough times bring people together. So never a better time than now to hit that subscribe button and hang in there with us as we try to look ahead to brighter times ahead. Here is what we have on the docket for you today. Obviously, a lot of the time is going to be spent looking back at the loss to Arizona. How does a Wildcat true freshman quarterback torch the Bruins secondary in his first career start? Plus, where was Demetric Felton in this game? He came in as the Pac-12's leader in all-purpose yards, but he was underutilized and, and little to be seen. The Pac-12 officiating making egregious mistakes that benefited the Wildcats, and the Bruins were absent in special teams or handcuffed, and that also played a big part in the defeat to the Wildcats. But first, I got to say this. We are talking special teams. Obviously fresh on our minds is J.J. Molson, the Bruins kicker, missing a 39-yard field goal wide right towards the end of the game that would have potentially forced overtime and made it a 20-20 to score. And I know kickers, they sign up for these tumultuous, pressuresome situations you have to be okay with handling that. And some obviously do a better job of that than others. And Molson was iced. Obviously, Kevin Sumlin called a timeout. And then when Molson came back out there, he missed the field goal. And it's so easy to finger point Molson and look at him as a major source of the blame for why the Bruins lost. And I just think that, that that's nonsensical because the Bruins were on offense. They had 87 plays. They had 87 plays on offense, and they could have done so much more. So why are you putting so much blame on Molson when the offense had 87 plays? So if they actually did more with them, they wouldn't have been in that situation in the first place where they would have had to rely on Molson to try to make a 39-yard field goal to force potentially overtime. And so, you know, when it comes to guys in this team being held accountable, I just, I, I'm very careful about placing blame on kickers along with quarterbacks to, to an extent because I also think that quarterbacks get blamed more than they deserve a lot of the times. And then when the team is winning a lot, quarterbacks bear too much of the credit. So, again, when you're in those limelight positions like a kicker, like a quarterback, you have to understand that blame or credit, more of it or less of it will be put on you based on your performance. But I still think that the team needs to get over the fact that they should not have needed a 39-yard field goal 
to try to force overtime. I mean, you think about this. Khalil Tate, U of A starting quarterback, did not play. He's the team's rushing leader. And then their top running back, J.J. Taylor, was also ruled out with injuries. So it came down to a potential field goal to try to force overtime when the Wildcats did not have their two offensive best players in this game. But still, the Bruins' pass defense hiccuped throughout the course of this game. And it was interesting because Arizona did not announce that Tate and Taylor would not play until during warm-ups. So think about it like this. It's like the Wildcats, they kind of threw a bluff out there because Chip Kelly and the coaching staff had been working diligently to plan for the dual-threat quarterback and all the dangers that that brings all throughout the week. And then all of a sudden, oh, wait a minute, last minute, Grant Gunnell, a true freshman quarterback, comes in and it totally changes the game plan or it it should have forced the Bruins to change the game plan, but they just did not have the, the time, I don't think, to adjust accordingly. And so obviously the chatter was coming into the game that with Tate, you're, you're going to want to stack the box and force him to throw and see that's not going to work against Grant Gannell because here's a guy who relishes in, in throwing. He is your textbook pocket passer, and coming out of high school, his numbers are just superhuman. 16,000 yards passing Almost 200 touchdowns. Those are both state records in Texas. That is more than Drew Brees, Patrick Mahomes, Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, Andrew Luck, any of them had in high school. So this guy had a pension and a history of lighting up secondaries, and he torched UCLA for 352 yards through the air. This was his first ever start, and... His second half, 12 of 15 for 182 yards, 8 for 8 for 81 yards in the fourth quarter, no turnovers all night. The Bruins defense forced six turnovers against Washington State, none in this game. And even more concerning is that they had a true freshman quarterback in there who made his first career start, and they still could not get him to make mistakes. I do think this is the tipping point for me in this game. So, start of the second half, the Bruins marched down. They got a field goal, and they were up 10-6. to six. So, they were up four points, unable to get in the end zone, but at least they got some points on the board. Then, you've got Gunnell out there, and he's in shotgun formation. First play of that drive. He finds Darius Smith on a wheel route and goes 75 yards for the touchdown. Now, the Bruins, in this particular play, dropped eight guys in zone coverage, and still there was no one close to Smith, and he rumbled 75 yards for the score. And that just seems to be the microcosm of the night where there were communication breakdowns, the middle of the field was wide open at times, guys were not really flying to the football, and there were big holes in, in the flat areas, and 
you know, even senior linebacker Chris Barnes said after the game, he said, it's all miscommunication. And he said, quote, it definitely sucks. And we want to come out there and get a stop. And we didn't. We also didn't see much of a pass rush. So obviously with a pocket passer like Gunnell, who's still getting used to the college game, if you're giving him sizable amount of time to, to get acclimated and get comfortable, then, then that's just bad news for the Bruin defense. Now, as far as that defense, pass defense, it now ranks 129th out of 130 FBS teams, giving up an average of 352 yards per game. There is one team that's worse. I'll give you a second to think about it. It's New Mexico. So UCLA... Their defense over the weekend gave up 464 yards to a team, mind you, that sidelined its starting quarterback, Khalil Tate, and its top running back. We still gave up close to 500 yards, and a true freshman quarterback completely was the hero of the night. All right, coming up, trying to make sense of why Demetric Felton was underutilized in this game. Plus, with Dorian Thompson-Robinson coming out in the third quarter against the Wildcats with an injury, with Austin Burton coming in, what can we gather from his efforts? And could we see him out there more? Plus, the Pac-12 officiating crew made more egregious errors, this time against UCLA. And those, well, they could have cost the Bruins the game. But first, make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let the Vivid Seats app help you get to your favorite live event. Enter promo code KICKOFF at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. Appreciate you keeping tabs with us on Locked On Bruins. Brian Fenley with you. UCLA quarterback Dorian Thompson-Robinson obviously did not finish the game against Arizona. He came out in the third quarter with an apparent leg injury, and Chip Kelly afterwards did not have an update on DTR. We'll probably have one at some point this week, and when we do have that, we will have it for you on this podcast, so another reason to hit that subscribe button. In for DTR was Austin Burton, and he did a stand-up job. First throw on the money downfield to Jalen Irwin, but he dropped the football. I got to tell you, Burton looked comfortable out there. He was smart with his decision-making, even showed off his wheels a little bit, and led the team on a 70-yard drive in the fourth quarter for a chance to tie the game. Of course, it ended up being a missed field goal from J.J. Molson from 39 yards. But Chip did hail Burton's efforts out there. And Burton seemed very in control. And I've got to tell you, obviously we don't know the extent of DTR's injury. But the way Burton played, his moxie, his control, his comfort level, and his accuracy, and his lack of turnovers. This guy deserves a little bit more playing time. You've got to find a way to get him more in the game. I just think that when it comes to, to someone who's been inside the program for as long as he has, he's a redshirt sophomore, he just looked like a guy who made the most, maximized this opportunity, and made a case for why he needs to get out on the field more. And to think that that was actually his first playing time in, in college as a redshirt sophomore. And he never complained he, about playing time or whatnot. He put his head down, 
has this incredible work ethic, working tirelessly, diligently on his craft, stayed in there. When you think about the, the times we live in now, when if a quarterback misses out on getting the starting job, there is this automatic panic, panic button they hit where they go into the transfer portal. Where here is a guy who shows that he's going to stay with it here at UCLA, Austin Burton. And all he needed was that opportunity. And I've had a chance to get to know his family. His dad is a very well-known sportscaster in Boston. And actually, when the New England Patriots broadcast on TV their preseason games, his dad is actually the sideline reporter for the New England Patriots. And Tom Brady has quite the great relationship with his family. And Brady has watched Austin Burton throw and even checked out a film on him through high school and younger for years. So uh, Burton, I got to tell you, uh, the the experience and, and the relationship with, with Tom Brady has certainly infiltrated his skill set. And all he needed, once again, was an opportunity. And like I said, we don't know the extent of DTR's injury, but there is no doubt in my mind, and I know many of you think the same way, that if there's any hesitation in how DTR feels, there there should not be any qualms about putting Burton back in there because it left us with like, all right, you know, he did pretty well out there. Like, I want to see more of this. Like, what can he actually do in a full game or in a half? Because he looked so in command out there for a guy that had never played in a college game before and it came in a pressuresome situation. So, Shout out to Austin and what he did, and potentially, hopefully, we'll see more of him throughout this season. And then got to point out, too, and I know it's a cop-out to blame officiating, and it's the easy way out, right? But the Pac-12, which doesn't really, their officiating doesn't have a great reputation already, had two humongous gaffes in this game, and I don't want to come and talk about this from a perspective of being like a homer, because that's not the image that I'm trying to portray on this podcast. Obviously, I work for the university with this coach's show, but in order to to have your respect, I want to make sure that I am honest and fair, and I am supportive of the program. Like I, I obviously want to see it succeed, but we've got to be honest with things a, as well. All right, so there were two fourth down spots that were mismeasured and led to the Wildcats extending drives. Those drives, because of the gaffes from the Pac-12 officials, led to 10 Wildcats points. Now, you might recall that the Pac-12, before this season, released what they called a new communications protocol to help enhance transparency. So basically what this is, is they want to be open about controversial calls. So, you know, they would come out publicly and make a response to to a call such as one that impacted the results of a game or a call involving a significant error in officiating mechanics call involving an error in rules interpretation or other extraordinary circumstances. Now, from those bullet points, it does seem to me that at least one of those things I just said fits to what 
just transpired in the Wildcats-Bruins game where there were uh, just, I mean, mindless mistakes. I mean, this stuff just was blatantly wrong. And LA Times beat reporter for UCLA Ben Bolch said with the knowledge that the Pac-12 had made it clear that they were going to be more transparent and that when stuff like this happened, they were going to make public statements. He tweeted out on Sunday that he was told that whatever Pac-12 review there is of those Arizona fourth down spots, if any, they will not, not be made public because it's not part of the conference's new communication protocol. (laughs) So no public statement from two spots that totally influenced the game when the conference had said before this year that when anything came up that was controversial that impacted the game in a significant way that they would come out and say something and they're not saying anything I just think this is a little hypocritical and if you are are, are the conference and you're trying to have open dialogue between all parties then you're obviously not doing things to, to live up to that it's it's unfortunate because, you know, there have been other controversial situations with this officiating crew earlier in the season, the, the way the Ole Miss-Cal game finished off. So, and, and even in that game, the Pac-12 released a statement, but nope, I guess not this one for some reason. All right, coming up, I want to point out some more elements of this game that absolutely Arizona dominated in that are probably not getting the attention they deserve. Appreciate you hanging out with us on Locked on Bruins. Brian Fenley with you. You know, we were hoping that the stellar special teams play against Washington State would would start to just show up, right, against the Wildcats. Well, not even close because the Bruins did not start a drive all game against Arizona past the 25-yard line. They did not get a chance to return a kickoff. They were all touchbacks. And there were two punt returns, and they gained a total of 11 yards. The Bruins had a 100-yard kickoff return for a touchdown against the Cougs. They also had a punt return for a touchdown, but they were absolutely handcuffed in this department against the Wildcats. And look, I had said that I wasn't sure what the punting was going to look like because there was chatter throughout the week leading up for Arizona that they didn't really have a sure punter and that they were sort of oscillating between a couple of them because they did not have the confidence in one particular one to do the job. But here we are. I look like a clown because I second-guessed the punting and they did their job and the Bruins were not able to capitalize and show off as one of the teams who came in that had the reputation as being one of the nation's top special teams return squads. That was not on display against the Wildcats, and they did a very good job in that department. Now, I would be remiss to forget to bring up Demetric Felton. Okay, you were watching this game, and you knew in the back of your head that Demetric Felton led the Pac-12 in all-purpose yardage entering the game. Okay, so here was his stat line. Two catches for 21 yards, six carries for 19 yards. 
He did not play in the first two drives. Now, harken back to the Washington State game, 150 yards receiving, two touchdowns, and a 100-yard kickoff for a touchdown. So he had three scores altogether. Why was he so forgotten in this game? What am I missing? Obviously, Joshua Kelly had a 27-carry, 127-yard rushing performance. But I know this was chatter on the postgame show on UCLA's flagship station, Learfield IMG College, and that was, like, can't you use both of them, Kelly and Felton, simultaneously? Because I had thought, and I know Felton had said this a couple weeks ago, that the the end-all goal was to create this two-headed monster with the running running attack with Kelly and Felton, but it seemed a lot more one-sided, and Felton was more of a fixture on the bench. And, and I don't know, and I obviously don't want to speculate, but I don't know if there's an injury or whatnot, and I just hope that we can get a little bit more information this week. But to see him so underplayed, just I, I know that I can take the temperature of the Bruin fans, and, and they were a bit perplexed. Because I think, and I know you probably think too, as Felton, who Wayne Cook on our Bruin Insider show last Tuesday had said, that Demetric Felton was the MVP of the team so far. And when your MVP of the team is barely playing, what is the reason behind that? So hopefully we'll have more of an idea of what that was about, but his absence was felt immensely. And also Chase Coda, who kind of disappeared in this game as well. He was targeted only three times, and he had a big game against Washington State. So we'll have to find out more about Demetrius Felton. Hopefully he's 100%. But by what he's done on the resume tape, my goodness, we needed to see more of him and that would have helped our cause in a big way. All right, tomorrow, we'll probably hear more about, perhaps, the extent of Dorian Thompson-Robinson's injury, so we will relay that to you on this podcast, how long he could potentially miss, or is he good to go in practice this week? Plus, where does UCLA go from here moving forward? And how do the Bruins shore up their defense? That will all be topics for discussion tomorrow. So we'll see you tomorrow. But for now, for Locked on Bruins, I'm Brian Fenley.